should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, Wednesday hump day, July 19th, whatever day you want to call it. Um, it's a beautiful day in San Francisco, kind of warm, also a little bit of a breeze, maybe even in some parts, uh, very cool and windy. That happens here in San Francisco with its microclimates. You just never know. I think that's what I love about it. You never know. It's like a surprise. San Francisco is like a surprise sometimes. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the program yesterday. Uh, it was really great to have Brody Levesque back on. He's the journalist who we had uh, on maybe just a few weeks ago, and we talked about Chechnya. Uh, at the beginning of these rumors regarding Chechnya and what was happening in Chechnya and, and the possible torture of LGBTQ people, primarily gay men, um, you know, some people, even gay Russian activists, were saying that it's in it's a, the West's media accounts of what's happening in Chechnya is inaccurate. Well, Brody, thank goodness for him, who actually is an American journalist but has done world reporting for organizations like New Civil Rights Movement, gave us the lowdown, and he even had actual facts from Russian journalists who broke the news and had been reprimanded or under really scary threats for talking about what's happening in Chechnya. So now that we know and we can confirm that the torture is in fact happening. Um, what are we going to do about it? What happens now? What do we do with information like this and with activists here in San Francisco who have done incredible work? It doesn't surprise me that people are actually getting together and organizing to bring attention to these inhumane and, um, uh, the, you know, uh, what I call violations of human rights. We have to, we have to just outright say that. Uh, that's what's happening in Chechnya. And so today we're going to focus on what one activist who's the most photographed nun in the entire world, I think in the history of all nuns, really, um, and what she's doing. So uh, again, it doesn't surprise me, somebody as spectacular as Sister Roma from the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is doing something for Chechnya. And so we'll have uh, Roma on the phone, and then we'll spend the second half talking about diversity and sports um, you know, with Colin Kaepernick and what he's doing and now not necessarily being uh, employed for being an activist in his own right, how do we talk about diversity in sports? That's what we're going to do in the second half. So let's get the show started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. 
So I promised you Sister Roma, and uh, what is Sister Roma up to? Well, there is a fundraiser that's happening here in San Francisco, but it's very unique. Um, it's a film premiere for ORAM, Organization for Refuge, Asylum, and Migration, and Rainbow Railroad. Uh, but the film focuses on uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and their trip in Shanghai. Well, what does Shanghai have to do with Chechnya? Let's find out what Stilettos for Shanghai for Chechnya is all about. Sister Roma, welcome to the program. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, absolutely. It's always a joy to speak to you and and, an honor, really. I know how incredibly busy you are and always just doing things to better our community, our people. Um, But I'm excited to hear what Stilettos for Shanghai for Chechnya is all about. Absolutely. So what happened is in 2014, the sisters were invited to China to attend the 6th Annual Shanghai Prize. And we were flabbergasted at the opportunity. I have to be honest, like China was never on my radar. I never thought that I would be privileged enough to visit that country because it's communist and it's halfway around the world and it's expensive and, you know, all of those things. So when the opportunity presented itself, we all were just like, yes, absolutely, we would love to do that. Then we actually had an international contingent of nuns come from Berlin, from Paris, and from San Francisco. Wow. That is so, uh, you know, the thing is, people have to understand, I mean, it was just announced this year that Taiwan was the first Asian country ever to rule on same-sex marriage, in which their Supreme Court ruled in favor of same-sex um, uh, marriage. So we can't exactly say yet that uh, marriage equality has come to Taiwan, but that that's a huge step. So if you think about like China or even, you know, Shanghai, LGBTQ rights as it applies to like the law is not even, um, in, in my opinion, at least, and I don't know it fully, and maybe you could share something or something you learned during your time there, but I don't believe that there are official laws in the books that protect LGBTQ people. Oh, absolutely not. And the people who are organizing Pride are very brave. And the government is sort of turning a blind eye to the entire event. And, of course, there are restrictions. You cannot, in China, you're not allowed to have a parade. You're not allowed to have large congregations of of groups of people because they're always very careful about protecting, you know, stopping uh, riots or any kind of organized demonstrations and things like that. So what the organizers do is they have a brilliant selection. And you'd be, you, you remember me talking to you about this when I came to SF Pride. Um, they have a, a week-and-a-half-long series of events that include a film festival, a picnic, rooftop parties. Um, a, they call it the Gay Run, which is sort of a... <laughs> it's like a really fast parade where they don't officially march, <laughs> but they have a... It's like a, 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 you know, a run where they yeah. relay or whatever. Um, so they have a bunch of events, and they ask the sisters to come to sort of build bridges between our community and theirs and talk about LGBTQ history, talk about the sisters. We talked about HIV and AIDS and safe sex, We and we had great meetings with PFLAG and hosted a trivia night at a bar and went to the nightclubs and traveled the Bund, and we went out, all, all of us, in mm-hmm. drag. Mm-hmm. and walked through Shanghai, and the reaction was completely amazing. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, you know, people's reactions to you, um, especially in, you know, a place like Shanghai. It's not like uh, Catholics are, uh, you know, a huge number of people who exist in, in Shanghai, um, but also this idea of nuns who are gay, who are activists, 
who are doing drag and what was the re- reaction like or the responses were, were were there any experiences that shocked you or maybe that you hadn't experienced before well i believe that that came worked in our advantage that there wasn't this huge influence of religion so there was no prejudice shown to us there was no there was no perceived um, feelings of judgment or distaste. It really just felt like people were super curious. I, they probably hadn't seen anything like us before, especially just wandering the streets. So as soon as we stopped and posed for one picture, before you knew it, we had groups of people who wanted to come up and, and interact with us and ask questions and take photos. And the people were really warm and, and just curious and inviting it was it was turned out i i was surprised by the gentleness and kindness of the chinese people you mentioned it earlier as far as like shanghai pride goes um i don't know if you know but was it the first official shanghai pride that was the sixth annual one that we were invited to okay and it continues today so they must be up to nine now so you mean i guess going back to kind of what your thoughts are regarding politics and LGBTQ equality in in Shanghai. I mean, you know, people talk about censorship a lot, um, especially in China. You had mentioned something like it was almost ignored upon the, uh, you know, Shanghai pride and whatnot. You really didn't get a sense that, um, you know, did you talk about any difficulties that they, or obstacles or objections that they might come across? I mean, pride usually starts out as a way to to protest right political power or administrations that ignore or take away rights from lgbtq people yeah they they were very seemed very grateful that the government is more or less allowing this to happen of course they it, it was a great expense to the organizers they had to rent private places to hold all of these events and so it was very expensive but there wasn't really a sense of protest or demonstrations. They're not so much demanding equal rights. They're at the stage sort of where they're just trying to get their culture and community to recognize them and know that they're there and to understand them better. So it was very educational. It was very, uh, a lot of outreach. And it was so, it was very loving. That's good. Uh, I mean, that's great uh, to hear that. And that's good news. But as it applies to, you know, world issues, for example, I mean, when you're here in San Francisco and you're someone like myself who's who's a privileged queer, uh, and I say that because there were people before me who basically made it better for me to walk around with my, you know, half-shaven head and, and be out and be queer. Um, you have places like Chechnya that were finding just horrendous and shocking and and just i don't i can't even find the words for the type of violence and uh violations of human rights as i had mentioned earlier what's happening to lgbtq people out there so talk to us about why you're putting together this fundraiser showing a film about your time in shanghai and how that applies uh to chechnya well in addition to following us through our antics in shanghai which is really a lot of fun the movie begins talking about LGBTQ persecution around the globe, and it, it still happens. It happens a lot of places, not just in Chechnya. But because of that, and then because of that nature of the film, when the news broke about, based really, honestly, I'm just going to say that it's, it's gay genocide happening in Chechnya right now, because they have estimated that as many as three people 
have been murdered, and it continues to get worse for people there. And the president has so much has laughed in the face of reporters when asked about it, and has basically said, please purify our blood, and if there are gay people here, which he denies that they even exist, please take them. And he says he knows that their family will know what to do with them if they exist. So it's, it's very thinly veiled threats, and it's, it's exceedingly dangerous. So when the movie was completed, we were like, this is perfect. It's a movie about LGBTQ persecution and building bridges and showing how it's getting better in China. We should make this a fundraiser for, for refuge and asylum. Now, the, it's not just a film that you're showing. You actually have a few notable speakers uh, and dignitaries um, of the LGBTQ community who will speak about this. I think during a time for us, even LGBTQ people here in a city like San Francisco, but under the Trump administration, I ha- we have to be very vocal about why, um, you know, the issues that impact refugees or those seeking asylum, those who are immigrants within the LGBTQ community matters. So what kind of dialogue or what kind of uh, things will we hear at the fundraiser from someone like uh, you know, uh, I would like to say soon-to-be mayor of San Francisco, Mark Leno. Yes, absolutely. Mark is in the film. Tom Emiano is in the film. They will both be at the event speaking. I've also invited Melanie Nathan, who you know, who's on the Pride Board, who works yep. in, with um, African uh, civil rights. And Natalie Ray, who is a drag queen here in San Francisco, is actually a Russian refugee. She's going to share her story. And Honey Mahogany is going to do a special live performance. And the reason that it's really important to me is because I feel like our country is slowly taking super baby steps in that same direction of LGBTQ persecution under the guise of religious freedom. And they're starting by refusing to bake us birthday cakes or wedding cakes, you know, Mm -hmm. the gay wedding cake issues. Um, And that's just the first sign of people denying us our civil rights. And it's scary to me. I can see in the distant future where that could escalate to a point where our rights are stripped and we become, once again, second-class citizens and our lives are in danger. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sister, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to continue our conversation and talk to you about just kind of the resistance movement, what's happened since, you know, Donald Trump has been elected as president, how that has affected your work um, as a sister, and also give people the details of how they can support Stilettos for Shanghai for Chechnya. So don't go away, okay? Okay. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. 
a special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, July 19th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. The Michelle Meow Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. On the phone as our special guest is Sister... Sister Roma, um, who is one of my most favorite activists in the world, really. Sister, you've been involved with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence for how many years now? This is my 30th year. Girl, don't make me feel so old right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so crazy, and it happens so fast. Like, I, I swear to God, it's just, it's been a whirlwind, but it's been such a beautiful, magical experience. Well, let's talk about the 30 years of activism, because you obviously started um, because you, you had to. I mean, what was the environment like, or what? where were you when you decided to become a sister? Well, I had graduated from college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and moved to San Francisco. And I lived for two years just completely living the dream. You know, I was in the Castro every night, drinking it up and partying and not a care in the world, and then... All of a sudden, one of my friends revealed himself to me to be Sister Luscious Lashes, and his name was Norman, and he sort of brought me into the order, and I started started to volunteer with the sisters, and I was like, oh my gosh, these people are doing amazing work, and it just, like a light bulb exploded over my head, and I was like, oh, I care about my community, and civil rights, and people who need help, and there's hungry people, and there were people visibly, physically dying of HIV and AIDS around us at the time that disease was ravaging our community. And the sisters were so brave and fearless in their really leading the, the charge against the fight against HIV and AIDS with education and compassion. And I was like, I have to join this group. And I did. So what's it like, you know, to start your activism because of, you know, making sure, well, because basically, I'm just going to put it out there, I mean, with, with the start of HIV, AIDS, and what you had just men- mentioned it being, you know, a, a, an epidemic that impacted our community so greatly, the government was ignoring this crisis, um, especially the LGBTQ community. And so now, 30 years later, we're looking at this administration that's trying to walk back and, and ignore us in a major way, I mean, what's that like for you? It's, it's terrifying. I, I can't believe the way that the pendulum has swung so far back. 
I mean, we're just taking, it feels like we're going back in time. They're trying to roll back all of the protections and the battles that we've won, the rights that we've earned. They're trying to take those protections away. And it's, it's really frustrating, and it's, it's, it's upsetting. But at the same time, I was around when our community fought these battles originally, and I know that we are equipped to do it again. I want to hear your thoughts on, you know, um, why continuing your activism today matters and what you're focused on. You know, with the Stilettos for Shanghai for Chechnya, the it's very clear on what we're focused on, and you're talking about um, activism that needs to happen to address issues that impact the LGBTQ community from a global point of view, and especially even, you know, global here. It's like we have... Uh, all kinds of people who live here and work here, and I think it's so important to address the fact that that also includes LGBTQ people. Um, but I wonder what your thoughts are, uh, because it feels like for someone like yourself who been who has been there, um, what I c- would consider the beginning of our movement, and now it seems like you're, we're going to have to pull you in so many different ways to continue your fight. You know what? What would you like to say to to some of us who might just be entering the activist space? Well, you know, if people keep saying, you know, how long are you going to do this? I mean, thirty years—that's more than half my life. So I'm not getting any younger, right? But the good news is that young people are born every day, and they are motivated, and they realize. But what the thing that we have to do as old timers and leaders in the community is make sure they understand that. These kind of battles cannot be won with a tweet or a Facebook like. And that as much as you share something, that's great that you're getting the word out, but you have to actually get out there. You have to show up. You have to raise your voices. You have to be counted. You have to make sure that you're seen, that the way you feel is understood and known. So I want people to continue the fight. And every time I turn around, there's a new reason. I mean, yeah. that's why I'm still doing this. You know, it's just with community violence. It was the Facebook names issue. It was Black Lives Matter. I mean, there's always something mm-hmm. that needs our attention and our help that we can support. Well, thanks for saying that because, you know, I, at this Pride, I was like, I mean, you know, squirrels and beavers should be marching in our parade at this point. It just seems like every single facet of our life is being or is under attack. Uh, scientists are protesting this administration, uh, not just immigrants and refugees. So for for the LGBTQ community, you've seen the movement 30 years ago. Now it's where it's at. Uh, what do you think are our biggest opportunities in order to unite with these issues that are more, I guess, diverse? Well, we also have to remember our people of color in our community who are experiencing great discrimination and prejudice and our trans community because... Honestly, our government is at war with the trans community, and it's disgusting the way that they're trying to keep our family out of the bathroom. And it's really not about bathrooms. We all know it's much more deep-seated than that. So we need to work together. All of us, really, it's about unity, and we need to come together, and we need to all support each other. I was at the Women's March, and I need every woman who was at the Women's March to get behind us and support all right, because we're all on the laundry list, and they start at the top with the easy targets, and they work their way down, and we're all on that list. I want to get back to the fundraiser that's happening very soon. Give us the details. When is it? Where is it going to be? And can, can people still support what the sisters are doing, even if they can't attend? 
absolutely. So, Stiletto's for Shanghai for Chechnya is on Monday, August 7th at the Castro Theater. And we have different tier levels of pricing. Tickets range from $10 to $100. We want everybody to be able to come. If you buy a VIP ticket, you get a, a little cocktail party meet and greet at the beginning. Um, doors open at 5, the show's at 7, and you can go to TicketFly.com to get your tickets today. Thank you so much for that, and I'll repeat it later on uh, on the show. I'll post it up wherever you can get the Michelle Meow show. As we're winding down our interview with you, sister, while I have you on the phone, and just some thoughts for people to think of, I think that you know now with this new... Uh, uh, percentage or higher percentage of social acceptance of LGBTQ. It's very easy to see, you know, drag queens as not what we used to see drag queens as. Drag queens were uh, liberationists who gave us an opportunity to freely express while raising money for huge causes like HIV, like you had just mentioned. Today, I feel like some people might look at it as just entertainment. Why well, I, I, I think it's very important to hear from wh- who I would consider as a mother drag, um, you know, that, that we don't just look at it like it's just entertainment, that art can be activism. Well, you know, drag has also always been very entertaining, but now, thanks to RuPaul and RuPaul's Drag Race and VH1, and it's become so mainstream. But nothing can change the fact that a man going out of the house in public dressed as a woman is a political statement. It absolutely questions everything that people understand about sexuality and gender. So even some of the drag queens themselves who just think that they're pretty and they're going to put on a great show may not realize it, but they're activists in their own right. Mm-hmm. And so are you. I have to say, this show is so important. And I love everything about it. I love your LMNOPQ stuff. I love your the advertisements that you have in the middle. It's all so important for our community, and you are great, a great ally. I just I love you. Thank uh-huh. you so much. Thank you. That's a huge huge compliment coming from you um i didn't mean to cut were you did you have something else to add to that no no okay last question for you if vladimir putin called you tomorrow right now maybe in the next 30 minutes and said he wanted to be a drag queen um or or a sister you know what what drag name would you give him (laughs) oh well obviously it'd be sister putin on the wrist <laughs> oh no, Putin on the tits. Putin. That's better. <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much for doing what you do and always making it a better place for all of us. Um, I so look up to you, and honestly, we're so lucky to have Sister Roma as Sister Roma. Ah, thank you. Uh, well, Sister Roma, everyone, you can follow Sister's work. I mean, she's everywhere on Facebook, Twitter, and I, I, I'm sure of it that uh, you will not have a hard time finding Sister Roma. Um, just to remind you, Stilettos for Shanghai for Chechnya is Monday, August 7th, 6 to 9. It's going to happen at the Castro Theater. Um, and if you can attend, I would highly suggest donating. This is for a great, great cause. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue on with the Michelle Miao show so don't go away 
The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here. And thank you, Sister Roma, for being on the show and talking about this incredible fundraiser that we're doing here in San Francisco. Although we're hearing reports of the torture and the, the inhumane acts of uh, the treatment of gays in Chechnya, um, you know, Chechnya is not too far. So uh, certain things like that, once if, if you let it get away, if we don't address it, we don't unite together, um, very tragic things like that can happen very quickly to LGBTQ people or what I consider oppressed groups. Let's uh, begin with our second half of the show. I'm excited to have Kevin Lynch on from SFGate. He is here on the phone with us to talk about an awesome panel or discussion that's happening in the Bay Area uh, as it applies to sports and diversity. I mean, I, I think, you know, most of us who are paying attention to what's happening, at least with the 49ers or a specific player, Colin Kaepernick, and the discussion about race and inclusion, um, one can, this is, this is a topic that we definitely need to focus on. Kevin, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Michelle. I appreciate it. So let's talk about this um, panel discussion, or first and foremost, before we begin with, with the specifics of how people can attend or be a part of it, you know, you, you, you intrigued me when we talked earlier, uh, and being very upfront about needing to have this conversation of white privilege, of, of uh, inclusion and diversity and what that means in the sports world. Um, it's kind of it, it crazy, though, because it's like some people are saying, you know, someone like Colin Kaepernick is is making sports there he's not making it fun anymore he's making it political he's making it into a racial thing we feel that this is a topic or a subject that we should broach and we should uh, discuss right 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the NFL and sports in general are so big, just by their very nature, they are political. They, they, the U.S. military advertises. Um, you have all sorts of messaging going out from, from these entities. So when you're that large, you can't help be political. And uh, I think that Colin is, is maybe pushing back on some of the messaging that is going out. Uh, from the NFL and from from big uh, the big institution of sports, spectator sports in general. So um, uh, th- that's that's the first thing. Also, I think what happened with Colin Kaepernick. I mean, here he was. He was protesting the national anthem last year because he wanted to bring attention to communities of color, to the lack of nutrition, to stereotyping, to discrimination, to the violence and police brutality that happens in those communities. And that's why he was doing it. Um, and subsequently, after he left the 49ers last year, he couldn't get a job in the NFL. Even though he was the top free agent quarterback on the market, not one NFL team was interested in enough for him to even come in for a workout. So it's pretty clear that he's been blackballed from the NFL for his stance. And that's the reason for this panel. Um, and one of the responses we get from the mainstream media about this is all this misinformation about Colin, that he wanted a $10 million contract, which isn't true, that he wasn't dedicated to football, which isn't true, that he wasn't embraced by his teammates, which isn't true. So I was just curious, where is all this information coming from? And that's what we're trying to address on this panel. And how do we, as mainly white male journalists, the over 90% of us are white and male, how do we best cover athletes of diversity, mm-hmm. um, gay athletes, women, women of color, men of color, how do we best do that so that we aren't making these mistakes in the future? You know, let's go back quickly. I mean, Colin Kaepernick is definitely not the first social activist type uh, athlete, you know, especially for like, you know, football. I mean, Muhammad Ali, for example, um, right. you know, also protested the government in a lot of ways, the the Vietnam War, and and he was he was widely known for that. And in your experience of covering you know sports, when you have uh, I hate to use the word, but controversial, you know, athlete in this way, I mean, what what are you told? How are you told to cover a story? I mean, do you just stay with the fact that they're, uh, uh, how many uh, points they scored, you know, and, and you just keep it about the sports? Or is it okay to, to, to also see these athletes as people? Well, that's such a key question. And I think now we're moving into an environment where politics and race are just so much at the forefront now. And I was just talking to a journalist who's going to be on the panel, African-American, and he was talking to another white journalist, and he was saying, I'm not going to bring race into my coverage. And the black journalist responded to him by saying, then you're not doing your job. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Um, uh, The NBA is 70% black. The NFL is 67% black. Um, Also, I think with the mainstream media, if... If we don't make an effort as white journalists to connect with 
the athletes of color, then we're going to be bypassed. And that's already starting to happen. Athletes are going to Twitter. Athletes are going to alternative media. Um, so it, I think for so many reasons, we need to know about their struggle, their culture, their um, history. Um, and if we aren't sensitized to that, then we're going to not have good stories. We're not going to have full stories. And the athletes are going to be further alienated from mainstream media, and they're just going to bypass them. So I think mm-hmm. that in some way, the mainstream media is in sports is in crisis. Mm-hmm. How do we stay relevant? How do we make sure we're not bypassed? And that's another point of discussion that we're going to have. What about this idea? I mean, you had just mentioned um, before that a good number of sports journalists are white men. Why not diversify the journalists and in, in, in making sure that, you know, if you've got a pool of diverse reporters, the chances then are greater that they'll understand some of these diverse issues. That absolutely needs to happen. And and that's another another part of, it's not something that we're necessarily going to discuss, but yes, that's the second part of this. One of the, um, the 49ers actually have donated $5,000 to this panel and to this event. And with that money, we, um, the Bay Area Black Journalists Association, in, in concert with San Jose State Institute for Sports, Society, and Social Change, are going to come up with a scholarship for um, a minority student who wants to get into journalism. So that, that definitely needs to happen. And, and one of the panelists is going to be Mark Spears, and he writes for ESPN's um, mm-hmm. unde- the Undefeated website. And he, he is also a chair of the, the National Association of Black Journalists Sports Task Force. So he's going to address that. Um, and the task force, that's their main goal, is to try to get um, people of color more involved in sports, more involved in sports coverage and sports journalism. But, yeah, that's a, that should be a main focus. I have a question for you in, in terms of, I mean, you being with SF Gate and San Francisco Gate, I mean, I'm not, or I'm sorry, the Chronicle, um, right. being very different in tone and, and also deciding on what stories to report, very different from like, you know, a small town paper, for example, um, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you in, as far as uh, just how much control I guess editors have over either silencing, you know, uh, someone who gets paid millions and billions, millions of dollars, which I, I don't know what that's like. So I guess, you know, the, my question really touches on the fact that the NFL, the NBA, I mean, they have so much money and they have so much power, but so do the television networks or the networks who, you know, report on sports. I think sports is holding up things like radio <laughs> and and uh, you know you know and so there's there's so much there how much power do these networks actually have when it comes to um and when it comes to being inclusive of you know athletes and in what stories they want to tell uh, i found it very oh, interesting that you mentioned they, they'll go to facebook they'll go to twitter to be able to speak up but are we right. are we letting them speak up? Are we silencing them? Do the networks have anything to do with that? This is really just a personal question. Oh, I think, you know, incredible power in terms of how they frame a debate. 
And I think that's what's happened with the Colin Kaepernick situation. The debate was framed as Colin Kaepernick can't get a job because of him, because that, you know, they talked about his diminished skills when he had a, a really good year last year on a very bad team. Um, you know, they, they talk about what his message is, and a lot of times that message is distorted when his message really is, look, I, I'm, I'm trying to help communities of color. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help them with their education, their, 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 their nutrition. I'm trying to make sure that young men aren't killed by police and that they comport themselves in a way that that happens. Um, he was also instrumental in getting uh, a plane full of food together for the famine in Africa. So he is doing really good things. He's doing things that any league or that any organization would want someone of prominence to do. But it's being framed as, okay, he's against the military, he's against police, he's against... And, and really, it has nothing to do with those things and much more to do with what he's trying to do as a person and as an advocate and as an activist. But those, that debate isn't framed in that way by networks, by major radio, by the mainstream. It's more he's attacking police, he's, he's being disrespectful to the military because he's not standing for the national anthem. So the debate gets shifted from what he really wants to do and what he is really all about into this distraction. And I, I think that's where we need to be more aware of, in the mainstream media, of, of what he's really asking for and of what's happening in communities of color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for the discussion and the panel. Tell us more. Where's it going to be? Um, I know it's called Game Changer, Promoting and, and Understanding Diversity, Inclusion, and Tolerance in Sports Media Coverage. Uh, but give us the details, how we can get tickets, who can come, and those things. Well, everybody can come. It's going to be tomorrow morning at 10, from 10 a.m. to noon on the campus of San Jose State. And um, you can get tickets and information through Eventbrite. And if you go to Eventbrite and... Um, you log in with Game Changer, you search Game Changer, it should pop up. Another way to get tickets is to go to Facebook and the Bay Area Black Journalists Association, and you can get tickets through, through, uh, through Facebook, through, through that, that avenue as well. Um, and Dr. Harry Edwards, who's, who's probably the father of modern sports sociology, will be on the panel. Um, we're going to have a couple of former 49ers, Derek Deason, Jr. Bryant, on there as well, and uh, a lot of prominent black journalists, sports black journalists in the Bay Area, Marcus Thompson, Mark Spears, Jason Jones, they will all be there as well. So we're, we're excited. And I just have to ask, because it's media, but will the talk be, um, you know, live, or will you do any streaming at all? We, we, it will be um, uh, videoed by San Jose State. But we won't. I'm not sure if it will be live streamed or not. It should be, but yeah. unfortunately, I don't. I don't think it will be. But I'm sure a copy of it will be available. But if people wanna 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 see it, come on down, and it should be it should be a great event. There's going to be a, a, a opportunity to ask questions and also a reception afterwards. Kevin, thank you so much for spending time with us today to tell us about what you're doing. I think that's uh, great and it's so important. Um, and and good luck. 
Oh, Michelle, thank you so much for having me on. I, re- I really appreciate it. Don't go away when we come back. Final thoughts, and uh, I'll share a quick clip again from one of Commonwealth Club's um, talks with Caitlyn Jenner, and we'll continue that from yesterday's discussion. So don't go away. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the the ethics of Oasis. It's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know. You know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true. You know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like to, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and, you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Today we had a great discussion with a San Francisco activist, Sister Roma, who's one of the most photographed nun in the entire world. I think the only nun who's probably been photographed as much as she has, especially as a uh, drag queen, uh, but a good drag queen who raises so much money for LGBTQ causes, and she's at it again. Um, there's a film coming out that documents the sisters going to Shanghai Pride, And so this film is going to be shown in San Francisco at the Castro Theater, but proceeds will go to uh, to to an organization called Orem uh, and Rainbow Railroad and the efforts from those two organizations to combat hate in places like Chechnya is incredibly important. And then we just had Kevin Lynch on from SFGate who talked about a panel that he is moderating and working with the Black uh, Journalists Association or the Bay Area Black Journalists Association in addressing, you know, just kind of the harsh treatment that black athletes face when they speak up or they speak out against injustices such as, you know, Colin Kaepernick from the 49ers. I mean, uh, we 
he can be considered controversial, but I don't think anyone here should say that anything that he has done is wrong. Um, so when I hear from, you know, headlines or other news reports from other activists, no, I'm sorry, not activists, athletes, who say things like he needs to just tone it down or he needs to just play the game, I think they're completely missing the point. And why I say that is because if, you know, athletes like Colin Kaepernick stood silent all the time and just collected the paychecks, nothing ever changes. And as Kevin said, you know, the NFL is one of the largest organizations um, in the world and largest as in financial power, largest as in eyeballs, people that it reaches. Um, with someone like Colin Kaepernick calling attention to the injustice that black people face here in a country like America, nothing he's doing is wrong. So um, anyway, it's important to have these discussions and why the, the media plays uh, a role, um, <laughs> especially during this political time, right? Anyway, thanks for joining me here. You can catch all of our podcasts and, and uh, TV shows at com. I thought that we could wind down the show by playing a little bit more of the Caitlyn Jenner talk with the Commonwealth Club. I know I was able to play at least three clips as it applies to politics, but maybe we could uh, listen to kind of um, the beginning of Caitlyn Jenner and, and, and what Caitlyn had gone through uh, as Caitlin says more and more and more things that uh, appear to be ignorant. I mean, who is Caitlin Jenner? Let's find out. I got a C, a C in English, okay? <laughs> um, just today we found out that between uh, book sales and uh, uh, online sales and stuff, that uh, number four on the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. wow. In its first week. And I guarantee you, if my English teacher is still around, she's rolling over in her grave <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, I was a poor little dyslexic kid. So um, Buzz started with the Vanity Fair article. So Buzz was there even before I transitioned, before anything. Buzz was there and was there for the whole story. Plus, Buzz is a little crazy. We love that about him. And we just had such a great rapport. Um, I wanted this book to, to show me and have a sense of humor. Uh, I, I, it's got to be funny. It, I it mean, does. It yeah. has all of that. Yeah, it's it all does. of that. You've got to have, you know, the accordion made it. We can't tell them what oh, that's right. all about, but right. the accordion made it in here. Um, right. And so... Um, Buzz and I just had such a great relationship to do this book. I loved, loved, loved his writing. How we took all of the things that I had gone through in, in my head and was able to organize all of that, put it together, and put it together in a great read. Um, he's an amazing writer. So would you just talk, 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 and talk, he's talk, writing talk, talk, and talk. taking notes and then? Yeah, it was a lot of talking. But he also, he knew my story so well. He really pushed hard to go as deep as you possibly could. Was that hard for you? Um, yeah, anytime it's hard when you look at your life. And the big thing was, um, obviously, anybody in their life, there's regrets. You did, you did things wrong. I did things wrong, okay? Um, I had times in my life where I was not a good parent, where I was dealing with all my own issues, 
Um, and I was honest about those types of things, and I, I really needed to be, and I needed to tell my family and the ones that I wasn't good with, I, I had to tell them, hey, basically, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at one of the passages in the book, you write, although I feel much more empathy on the inside, I still have trouble showing it on the outside. Although I am observant of others, I still talk about myself too much. Maybe here I am talking I spend about myself. <laughs> Sorry. Then yeah. you write, maybe I spend too much time over the way I look. So it struck me as that you're being brutally honest about yourself. I, I am. Um, uh, yeah, that's what that's what that book is about, about being honest with yourself, with your soul, about who you are as a person. And to be able to get to the point in your life where you can not only be honest with yourself, you can't do this. You can't transition or do that unless you know in your soul it's the right thing to do. And then it becomes, okay, how do I deal with family members? Um, how do I deal, in my case, because I was a public figure and getting destroyed by the tabloids for years and years and years. Um, and they do nothing, but they just destroyed me all the time. Obviously, I can't do this privately. I would love to go to Alaska in the backwoods, you know, and transition and, you know, mm. live in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. But eventually they would find me, okay? Then it becomes a tabloid. That's right, that's right. Then it would become a tabloid story that's again. Right. So I don't want that. I want to control my narrative. Right. I want to control my story. And so um, uh, once I decided, okay, I'm going through this, first person I called, which I talk about in the book, is Alan Nirob who was my, was my PR guy back in the 80s. Um, he was kind of just beginning at Rogers and Cowan. I, uh, the New York Times was gonna write an article that I was a cross-dresser, because the 80s by far were the most difficult times for me. I thought I was gonna transition before I was 40, you know, before uh, 1990, I'm doing this. And, you know, uh, so I was on hormones for four and a half years, I'm in therapy, I'm getting electrolysis done, I'm doing all these things. Obviously, your look changes. And the rumor mill started. Right. Um, and so the New York Times is going to write an article that I was a cross-dresser, uh, which is not the case. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm being honest. It's not the case. I'm trans, okay? I'm not a cross-dresser. So um, I called my lawyer in, my manager at the time, and Alan. And I sat him down, and I told him my story, and you got to stop it, and Alan stopped it. Well, for the next 25, 28 years, I didn't use Rogers and Cowan any That's longer. Right didn't need a PR person. And uh, so when I decided to do this, the first person I knew I was gonna call was Alan, and now he's the president of Rogers and Cowan, so he's doing, I was shocked that he was still there. I called Rogers and Cowan, you know, call up information, Rogers and Cowan, and I get the number, uh, call, and I say, uh, Alan Nirob? And then one second, I said, no way, he's still there. Right. Found out he's in the president's office now. So um, Alan and I, I said, you got to come out. And he says, I'll be out, you know, on s Saturday. And we sat down. We came up with a plan right. on how can we do this? Because right now I'm in the gutter. It's the tabloids. It's horrible. How can we take, because I don't deserve to be in the gutter. My community does not deserve to be in the gutter. Okay. We need to be respected, and it, it needs to be done right, not just for me but for everybody. Right. And so taking it out of the gutter and putting it with Diane Sawyer, ABC News, Vanity Credible, Fair. you know, and right. then, you know, backing it up with Vanity Fair. It was kind of scary. Here I was still Bruce, and he says, okay, well, you got Diane Sawyer, and I'm going, oh, God, okay, all right, Bruce is going to play that one. 
I would never mention Caitlin's name, nothing. It was just right. Bruce's story. That's where it had to start. And then he calls me a couple of weeks later because I thought Vanity Fair would be a great place to go. I thought it was edgy enough, uh, but also credible enough uh, to give them the article. And he calls me back like a week later and says, well, you're on the cover of Vanity Fair. And I went, oh my God, okay, here we go. You're yeah. in it then, yeah. Yeah, here we go. So for anyone who still believes that transitioning is a choice, an option that you can exercise or not, your book will surely persuade them otherwise. Um, you write that you took huge risks as Bruce in attempting to be who you really are, risks that had things gone awry would have inflicted irreparable harm on your reputation as Bruce Jenner, yet you took them anyway. So if you could tell us about just a couple of close calls, and I'm just going to give you three areas. You can just pick one if you want. Hotel lobbies, Starbucks, driving in your car. Oh, I had close calls. Okay, but never got caught. That's right. <laughs> can you give us one example? Never got caught. I got, I got pretty good. Only one time I was walking through the parking lot of LAX. This is back in the early 80s. Uh, did somebody... I thought I was looking pretty good. And as I was walking through the dark parking lot, somebody said, like, I heard my name in the background. Scared me to death. I, like, ran, got my car, and got the hell out of there. I and said, you were okay, dressed I'm how? I'm not doing a good enough job. And how were you dressed at that time? At uh, that moment? As Caitlin, but probably it was kind of the beginning stages. Um, you know, there's always a lot to learn. Um, to be honest with you, when I read, especially at the beginning of the book, I read what I went through. Every time I read it, I cry. And I'm thinking... All this crap that I went through, sneaking around, doing this, taking nail polish off, putting nail polish back on, you know, on and on. It just, every time I read it, because I, I, today my life is so simple. I just get up in the morning and be myself. How simple is that? It's just wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling. It's just getting there. Yeah. Right? yeah. But so the one time... I don't know if you've heard, I like going to Starbucks, but anyway, that's a whole other story. Yeah. I've got a million shots of me coming out of Starbucks, okay, with my little coffee cup at Little Trancas Market, okay, because that's where the paparazzis okay. hang out, and I'm not going to change going there because those damn people are there, okay? I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. If i got a Starbucks in there, I've got a Starbucks <laughs> in there. Well, But I, I do wish Starbucks would send me a free card, but that's a whole other deal. That's all right. That's a whole, that's a whole other deal. But, uh, yeah, one time, after years and years, the first time I ever spoke, I was giving a speech outside of Las Vegas. And I had dressed that night before, gave the speech, but I had all morning. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get up, get dressed. And uh, so I get up, and, and you know, I would go walk around a little bit. And I had never, never used my voice, because originally that's going to give you away, you know. And now I don't care. It's just my voice. Big deal, Okay. Uh, it's just your voice. Big deal. Uh, all right, Caitlyn Jenner. You know, you've got a lot of work to do if you really are serious about running for California senator. To hear the rest of that program, head to CommonwealthClub.org. For everything else, you can head to MichelleMeow.com. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time on Progressive Voices Network. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, 
Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at Facebook.com forward slash Progressive Voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at Facebook.com forward slash Progressive Voices.